You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com sermons. Tonight we'll take kind of a big chunk of the first chapter of the book of Galatians because we have a long section of autobiography by the Apostle Paul. Now, he doesn't uh, write this autobiography to sell books and uh, make money autographing them on his book tour. He uh, gives this autobiographical information as a defense of his apostleship. There were various brethren uh, troubling the Galatians, as we know. Uh, Paul said there's some come preaching a different gospel, and it was a gospel that uh, mixed the gospel with the law. And so uh, that mixing of gospel and law uh, that was there. Uh, Paul said in the, the verses we studied last week, uh, Paul said, uh, if they preached these kind of things, let them be accursed. And so the apostle Paul was forthright against those things. And it seems obvious uh, from the stress he places on his uh, being or not being in Jerusalem in this section of scripture that some <coughs> important it seems obvious that those who came down uh, to the Galatian region were, who were preaching uh, these things, they were claiming to have the authority of the Jerusalem church behind them. Uh, they were claiming, it, it seems obvious, to have the other apostles behind them as they taught, taught these things, which were contrary to the Apostle Paul. And as he opposed them and had taught things that they were opposed to, they made it a point to... Uh, discredit Paul by whatever means were necessary. And so they probably talked about how uh, he had gone off the rails and gone off the deep end, and he had messed up that true gospel that they had gotten from Jerusalem itself. And whenever you say Jerusalem, do it like, uh, you know, the angelic uh, choir uh, singing about the mother church, Jerusalem. So they got this from Jerusalem and He'd gone contrary to that. And so a lot of this autobiography, again, will stress when he went to Jerusalem, when he wasn't in Jerusalem, when he received these things, and how, rather than get them from, as these guys would claim, they had their authority in Jerusalem, he had it straight from God. And so with that, uh, let's read the text, Galatians 1, verse 11, down to verse 24, and we will see uh, that Paul says this is a gospel that is not according to man. This is truly the straight gospel of God. So verse 11, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. There's our title. For neither I received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond my contemporaries, among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, that those who were apostles to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia, and I returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stay with him fifteen days. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So here we have Paul preaching this gospel. He says, not according to men, and not that I had to go down to Jerusalem and get it, not that I was sent from Jerusalem, not that the mother church did anything hardly with me or for me, but I was almost, as he says, an independent agent working directly from God. So this gospel which I preach, of which he had just said in the prior words, if anyone preach another gospel, let them be accursed. Where did the gospel that he preach come from? He says in verse 11, the gospel that I preach is not according to man. The gospel is from Christ. The gospel is about Christ. And Paul received it directly by revelation from him. So not by consultation, but by revelation. Verse 12, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received a revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we've today believed the pure gospel and the true gospel, we believe in a thing that's by revelation, but we've received it by inspired men. We've received it by the hands of Paul, by the hands of Peter. We've received it from the word of God, and we've received it from faithful men who then took us to that word and taught us. That's the normal method. Paul told Timothy, teach other faithful people. Second Timothy 2, 2. The things you've uh, heard, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will teach them to others. So Paul's not against the normal transmission of the gospel. He engages he engaged in that normal transmission of the gospel uh, with Timothy. He told Timothy to engage in it. But Paul says, in my case, and that's what makes me an apostle, not just a disciple. Paul said, in my case, I got it direct by inspiration. I got it direct by revelation. And so that's a pretty incredible claim. But Paul will now give uh, his biography as a proof of this. So Paul's biography, the events by which he claims to be an apostle, and like he would tell the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12 and 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. So disciples can't do that, but an apostle can. Paul will give uh, the biographical proof that these, this extraordinary claim that I'm an apostle of Christ should be accepted by them. Of course, he'll later point out, I'm the one who taught you the gospel. How'd you know this except that I taught you? So by the teaching, by the content of the teaching, by the uh, facts of the revelation, by the constant signs and the miracles that were worked, 
we conclude that Paul was truly an apostle. And we have half our New Testament via his pen as he wrote the inspired words. But in this place, it's the biography that is set forth as proof. We'll have more in chapter 2. But now here in chapter 1, biography. Now we start with Paul's Jewish period. We start sort of from the beginning with he's a Jew, He's a Jew who lives contrary to this gospel. He's a Jew who hates this gospel. He was a very zealous Jew, more zealous than many other Jews, and uh, about the most zealous Jew you could find. And he was the most unlikely convert possible. He is the one who becomes an apostle. So verse 13, you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. Now, I don't know how they heard. I don't know if Paul told his conversion story as part of his preaching method, uh, message. That's a possibility. Maybe it was brought up as a, as a way to discredit the Apostle Paul uh, to the churches of Galatia. Are you going to believe that guy who used to persecute the church? Are you now? Do you know what he used to do to Christians like us? And now he's coming in here troubling us with his doctrine. He just never stopped. No, no, it's not like that at all. And so I don't know if they're using his biography against him. Or I don't know if he had let them know before, but he starts with his Judaism in his former manner of life. It's the life he's now left behind. As he would say in Acts 26 and verse 4 and 5, he said, all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up. He said, I'm an open book. I've, I've been a public figure. People know who I am, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and in, at Jerusalem. Since they know all about me for a long time previously, if they're willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee, according to the strictest sect of our religion. And so here was a Pharisee. Uh, here was a, uh, as he'll just skip over that in Galatians, go straight to persecutor. I, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. And I tried to destroy it. Acts 8 would tell us that he went from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. And he would later say in Acts 26 about this period, he said, I did many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In Jerusalem, I sent the saints to prison. I went to their to synagogues and I dragged them off. And that's, of course, what he was doing on the way to Damascus when he was converted. And so he said, it's, it's well known and y'all know. I'm not hiding that. And so it just makes it all the more obvious that this is from God because uh, when was the last time that the persecutors of the church were converted and became members of it? Today, those folks from Al-Qaeda uh, and, and other, uh, all these owls and, and things uh, from the Middle East, when's the last time any of them were converted? Well, they're, they're like Paul. They are zealous for their ancestral traditions and they are uh, persecutors of the church, and they try to uh, excel each other and be uh, the great example uh, to one another of, of their hatred of all things Christian. That was Paul, but Paul was converted. Verse 14, I was advancing in Ju Judaism beyond my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. More extremely zealous. I don't know how we could modify that to make it even more 
or, or evermore uh, than what Paul does. Uh, he uh, went after uh, Judaism in, in, with the greatest amount of zeal possible uh, in the strictest and most rabid uh, of, of following of these things uh, of the strictest sect he could find uh, and going against all those who opposed as he would say to the Philippians and confess yet once again, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm in the nation of Israel. I was the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee Uh, as to zeal. He says, I was a persecutor as to the righteousness of the law. I was blameless. So I did it well and I did it right. And I did it by the teaching, but he'll later say as well, whatever these things were gained to me, I've counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. Because at this point in the story, we have God's intervention. We have God's call. Uh, We have God uh, making of Saul the persecutor, making of him then Paul the apostle by the will and work of God. Uh, You think about what man could have convinced Paul to give up that Judaism? What argument of logic or or what explanation even of Holy Scripture? Uh, What fact could you bring, uh, a new fact that he hadn't considered and rejected before? What, What persuasive words of gospel preaching could you have brought to Paul and say, hey, I hear something that might convince you. Nothing did. Only that Paul was, as he says, set apart from his mother's womb for the thing that God had intended for him. So, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him to the Gentiles. So there's our Damascus Road moment, taught again, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26, taught over and over. As Paul uh, first is told his history, then uh, Paul tells the story twice more uh, as he's on trial in various places before Roman officials. There is where Paul uh, meets the Lord. And it's because God had this plan that Paul would be this uh, as it were, 13th, or I guess maybe 14th, because, you know, uh, Matthias took Judas's place, so he was Apostle 13, but but uh, uh, that filled back out the 12. But then this uh, another one to add to the 12, another one to add to the Apostles. In God's time and in God's way, God who set me apart from, his, from my mother's womb. Now, anybody who knows the Old Testament, and I think we know Paul does, right? Paul knows the Old Testament. Anybody who knows the Old Testament recognizes that what is uh, often true of prophets. When did God and when did God start the work with some of his prophets? He started from the mother's womb. Like in Jeremiah 1, when Jeremiah is called, Jeremiah 1:4, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so were there just fellows running around uh, in Israel and God says, "Uh, you know what? I need a prophet. Who can I use? Who's out there that I can pick? Uh, Any any decent fellows? 
No, the the prophets were prophets because God had a plan. God had a God had uh, uh, provided uh, uh, for them, and God had brought them to their situation so that they could be useful for whatever task God had brought them. And so, this known being known from the womb, uh, this in the Old Testament is indicative of prophets. Or we think about a judge and think about Samson. How is it that Samson came to the world? Well, with an angelic announcement to his parents that they're going to have a child. Or also such as John the the Baptist, who we've just studied uh, this this last Wednesday night or two from the uh, first chapter of Luke. Uh, When was it that John was set aside and set apart for his work? You know, from from the you know before he's born, it's announced by an angel, and so this this is uh, familiar language uh, when we through the old covenant and familiar language with prophets. And here, Paul is saying about his apostleship, it's the same. It is the same. And so, if we think about the great honor to be called a prophet, and we think about the preparation of uh, being uh, of a prophet, well, here we have an apostle that comes in the same way, by the work, by the will, or as it says here in verse 15, by the grace of God. He called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. And so when did one become a prophet? When God revealed himself to the prophet and gave him their commission. When did Paul become an apostle? When God had the son appear to him, and reveal himself to him, and he summarizes the call that he got as basically that I might preach to the Gentiles. That is Paul's uh, basic work. Paul is going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Acts 26, verse 16, this is the Lord speaking to Paul after he appeared to him. He said, but arise, stand on your feet. For this purpose I've appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which will appear to you, delivering you from Jewish people and from Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light and the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient, to the heavenly vision. And so I am sending you, the Lord said, I am sending you to the Gentiles. And we think about the work of the Apostle Paul. Where does he spend the great bulk of his time? He'll go to the synagogue and he'll preach to Jews for a little bit. Nearly always they reject him, or there's a few cases where uh, they do join him. And then very quickly in every case, whether uh, by necessity or, or whether with uh, the you know the, the grace and prayers and and the and, and the kindness of believing Jews, but quickly they go to Gentiles, and that's where Paul spends his work. And so you think about just the absolute unlikelihood of the most zealous Jew you could possibly find. Go to Jerusalem and find the most zealous Jew possible, and then say, "You sir have been chosen." to preach Jesus Christ to Gentiles. And that is how unlikely it was 
that the Apostle Paul was chosen to do this. Now, it was God's plan all along. Uh, it was uh, from, from birth, uh, Paul says, I was set for this, and God had this plan in me. But the unlikelihood from our perspective and the unlikelihood on this side of the veil and from this side of, of uh, you know, God knowing God only as he reveals himself, not knowing the inner workings in the master plan, but that you pick the persecutor to become the proclaimer. And, and the one who by uh, constant harassment uh, and uh, persecution, by mistreatment of the brethren, would seem to have been uh, the most disqualified is the one who is made the apostle. Uh, there's a fellow named Paul Stout. He said, Paul was fighting against God, against Christ, and against men. He neither deserved mercy nor asked for it. Yet mercy found him and grace called him. And so here is the intrusion of the divine into the life that uh, Paul was leading. I, I think Paul was probably highly satisfied with the life that he had and thinking about how he could advance even beyond how this persecution of the church thing, how he could probably parlay this into a good promotion, eventually a seat on the Sanhedrin council, uh, that he would be, he would be a leading rabbi and his bona fides would be made. His resume would be secure. His, his, uh, you know, his, his, his sheet of accomplishments uh, would be uh, would be impressive for all, and he would be set up forever in Judaism. Uh, and then all of a sudden, God intervenes, and all of that is thrown away, and he sees the truth, and the truth is now shown to him by God. And and this is how uh, God's will and work uh, work in us uh, that uh, when our mind is open to these things. When we start to receive by faith uh, the instructions and the facts, uh, then uh, all the uh, fact that we might have been rebellious or doubtful uh, or wayward, all of that's immaterial uh, because we have known and found the grace of God. And so this most unlikely of prospects becomes the additional apostle. I think about all the Christian fellows Back in the days of Paul, if God had put out a, you know, a, a, an audition, open casting call, hey, uh, we need another apostle who would be interested. Or, and let me tell you, you know, before you, before you apply, let me tell you, we're going to need an apostle to go to the Gentiles. There might be a whole lot of Jewish fellows go, well, I'd kind of like to be an apostle, but maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the opening for me. But, but how many of the Gentile brethren? How many of the believing brethren would say, oh, I'd, I'd like that. Just imagine the line of people. If there'd been open addition for an additional apostle. But instead, it's Paul. Now, once we've got this additional apostle, that as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, about verse 8, uh, Christ appeared to me as one untimely born. We think now, isn't the next plan, the step in the plan, we need to get him down to the apostles. We need to get him down to Jerusalem. We need to get him down there, and we need to teach him all the stuff he doesn't know. Because, you know, the Apostle Paul, I think if there's one fellow, if there's one fellow who knew the Old Testament, it was Paul. 
But as we see reading through the New Testament, how much of the Old Testament is opened up to us now because we know Christ. And so somebody needs to explain to Paul how all these things work, the, the, these, all, this Old Testament, how it was pointing to Christ all along, something he, he had not seen, something that had been beyond him and beyond his grasp, uh, how you know, the, going back uh, well, even as far as Genesis 3 in the garden, uh, the seed of woman which would trample the uh, serpent, uh, going back to Genesis 12, uh, the seed of Abraham and who uh, all men would be blessed, which is actually, we know that because Paul explains it to us over here in Galatians 3 and 4. But we got all this Old Testament scripture that Paul now needs to be, to see in a different light, that Paul needs to see, get the right view and get the right perspective on. And we we need to get him down there to, uh, you know, Christian university, as it were. We need to get him down there to, to, to Faith Technical Institute, and we need to teach him up because God's going to use him, and so we better teach him. And so the plan is obviously, oh, the plan is obviously from the next verses, <laughs> almost intentionally to keep Paul away from the rest of the apostles as much as possible. Hold on. Is that really the plan? Was that a plan? Did God plan that? Who's in charge of this thing anyway? Because would we 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 get a, we're gonna we're gonna take from the wrong side of the tracks, as it were, the wrong side of the tracks of faith. We're gonna take this fellow and we're gonna make him an apostle, but we're gonna keep him away from all the people who are apostles. Well, if we believe that this happened by plan, then that exactly was the plan. Uh, the next several verses will detail Paul's just near absolute isolation from the apostles. Verse 16, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now, we know from Acts 9, there was a church there. That's why Paul was going up there to persecute those folks. And uh, there was a fellow named Ananias uh, who uh, told him to be baptized in the name of Christ. And what else Ananias told him? And what else he learned from those Christians in the first weeks in the church, we don't know, but it, it wasn't about how to be an apostle. It wouldn't have been that. And so Paul says about these things of Christ that he's now revealing, he didn't ask anybody who was of flesh and blood. It all came divinely. None of it came in the natural way. He said, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. I didn't go see the other apostles to those who were apostles before me. Now it doesn't seem Paul has a problem with these fellows. Every time he meets them, uh, he, he, he works with them. Uh, they work with him. They, they all teach the same thing to the same purpose. It's not that it's not that there's any hardship, uh, between them, but, uh, he doesn't go ask them, Hey, what should I preach? Or, Hey, what's this apostle business? about. Instead of going to Jerusalem, Paul seems to go almost the exact other way. He says, but instead, verse 17, I did not consult with, with those who are apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then I returned to Damascus. Arabia? Now again, got to ask, if, if you're in charge of the new apostle plan, uh, do you want to send him for a couple of years to Arabia? And it's 
it's a total mystery to us all about Arabia. Uh, it's, it's mentioned here in Galatians as Paul tells his own story. He does, it's not even mentioned in the book of Acts. And who wrote the book of Acts? Well, Luke did. And from Acts 16 on to the end of the book of Acts, nearly the entire time, uh, there's a few exceptions, but, but basically the whole time from then on, Luke and Paul are traveling companions. And Luke is an attendant to Paul as he is in jail. And as he looks, looks on board with him when he makes that trip in Acts uh, 27 from Caesarea to Rome, Luke goes with him when he goes on a prison ship. And so we, we never have exactly their relationship spelled out, but Paul calls him the beloved physician and they spent years together and Luke attends to him when he's in prison. So I think we can safely say uh, without any controversy, even, even if it's not exactly spelled out, but the beloved physician Luke is one of Paul's best friends and he knows more about the life of Paul than anybody. And when Luke 10, 12 years after this writes the book of Acts, Luke doesn't even mention going to Arabia and he doesn't give a hint in the book of Acts that this actually took a couple of, uh, a couple of years. Uh, we find, uh, in Acts chapter, uh, nine, uh, verse uh, 22. Uh, well, uh, we'll just, um, we'll just start with Paul immediate preaching. We'll start in Acts nine, uh, 19. Uh, Paul, uh, took food and was strengthened. That's after he was baptized. And then it says, now for several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all those who were hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who was in Jerusalem destroying those who called on this name, who had not come here, but for that purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest. But Paul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And then it says, when many days elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. And that's when Paul is eventually going to be lowered over the wall and sent to Jerusalem. Well, we know that this um, trip to Arabia must have been quite long because it will say here, as we continue in verse 17, he said, I went to Arabia, I returned once more to Damascus, and that's when he got led over the wall, and after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. And so for most of the first three years that Paul's a Christian, he's in Arabia. What's he doing there? We don't know. Why is he there? We don't know. Some have speculated that uh, he needed to go uh, there uh, and, and in silence and solitude and uh, in, in prayer, in preparation for the life that he would now lead as an apostle. Uh, some have noted that he's in Arabia just about as long as the other apostles were with Jesus during his personal ministry. And I don't know. Maybe it takes a while to just get the mind wrapped around all these new uh, Christian things. But you, you, it's just amazing. Again, you wouldn't have picked Paul. Uh, you, Paul would have been the last guy you picked to be the new apostle. And then I think if any of us had a were in charge of this plan, we wouldn't have sent him away to isolation for three years. But after three years, he finally gets back to Jerusalem. Okay, 
Now he can spend some time with the apostles. Now he can, now he can make sure he's on the right track. Now he can get up to speed. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem and became acquainted with Cephas. Okay. So Paul and Peter, good. Peter can help him out. And I stayed with him 15 days. Oh, oh, he's only with Peter for two weeks. Okay. Now I know we can learn a lot in two weeks, but can you really get the, the whole thing of the gospel in two weeks? You can't. And he already had three years. And so Peter does not even have the opportunity, even if that was Peter's plan to, to tell him, uh, we find out in Acts chapter nine that Paul was there in Jerusalem. That's when he was trying to associate with the disciples, but the disciples were scared of him. And then, uh, with Barnabas's help, he was received by the brethren. But then the Lord tells him, uh, you need to get out of Jerusalem because the Jews want to kill you. And so he had to leave Jerusalem rather quickly. And then he says, I did not see any of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And so I didn't have opportunity to be with apostles. Now we can talk about the exact meaning of an apostle and how apostle is used a little broader in the scriptures than we sometimes use it because here is James, the Lord's brother, a great prophet, the writer of the book of James. He's called an apostle, even though he's not uh, actually with the twelve. Although in Acts 15, he does sort of seem to provide over the meeting of the apostles. Uh, so anyway, uh, of great notable men, Paul in his first years only sees Peter and, and also James, the Lord's brother. So in his first three years as an apostle, he's only in Jerusalem for three weeks, and he only gets to visit apostles, uh, two apostles briefly. And then he says, now I'm writing to you, and I assure you before God, I'm not lying. Uh, now, we'll later, because Luke writes the, the further history of the church in the book of Acts, again, 10 years after this book is written, we'll be able to put all these things together and see how they all match up. But the brethren in Galatia, this would be the first, they were reading of it. So Paul wants them to know this is the facts. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia again. <laughs> you've chosen an extra apostle and it seems like the first five years we have an apostle. He is in as obscure a places as possible, but such was the Lord's plan. And so eventually now we'll get to Acts chapter 11 where they've taught so many people in Antioch that Barnabas goes and gets him and they comes to Antioch and he enters into the history again of the book of Acts and becomes one of the central characters. But uh, before that, he had that, as he says, time in Syria and in Cilicia. Uh, that is those areas just north and just south of Antioch, where he eventually will teach with Barnabas. But among all those down in Jerusalem and Judea, where these brethren who had come to the area and were troubling the Galatians, and again, said, hey, we've got the imprimatur of the mother church. Uh, we've got the, uh, you know, apostles behind us. Uh, Paul says, well, I don't know anything about that. And they didn't know anything about me because verse 22, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. And so God made him an apostle and God put him out on his own path. Uh, and it didn't intersect much with the folks down there in the spiritual heartland 
in the spiritual motherland of where the church was from. But these folks, even though they didn't know his face, they had heard of his faith and they knew his reputation, but only they kept hearing because wherever Paul went, even in these obscure places, uh, words getting back that he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he had tried to destroy. And so if there's ever any doubt about the uh, true conversion of Paul, it's seen in the fruits. The, the reality of the conversion is enough, even if you don't see him personally. And so, in verse 24, they were glorifying God because of me. Now, I have to say, that'd be a great statement if we could all make it, right? Wouldn't that be a great thing? The people, they were glorifying God because of me. And we might, not, we might just ask ourselves, you know, with some humility, uh, do people glorify God because of us? Because of us, do people mention God? And if they do, is it a good, is it a good mention? And so the apostles and the brethren, they are happy. They are glad that Paul is out there. There is no rivalry. There's just an acting in the common faith. And so what's Paul's relationship to those in Jerusalem? They teach the same thing. Now that's going to come a point of conflict when the folks that Paul is uh, uh, combating in Galatia, they're going to claim support from the mother church. They're going to say Jerusalem is where we learned this, this gospel that Paul is so uh, contrary to. And people are going to go, well, Jerusalem doesn't have a problem with Paul, but Paul has a problem with you. And so why is that? Well, that'll be, that'll be on into chapter two as we get more into the nitty gritty. But uh, anyway, we have this autobiography. Uh, we have the biography of Paul as proof of his apostleship. Now, most faithful Christians today, I, I, well, more than most, all faithful Christians today don't have a problem with this. Because what is well recognized by the time you get through with the book of Acts and by the time you read the book of Romans and the Thessalonian letters and the Corinthian letters and the letters to Timothy and the letters to Titus, by the time you read, you know, half our New Testament and you read the book of Acts, who's the central figure? Well, it's Paul. But this is before that. Uh, this is quite likely uh, the first or second book Paul wrote. He, one or two books is all. The first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, possibly could have been before the book of Galatians. That's just about it. And so this is an early book. And again, the book of Acts and the history of the church, 15 years after this book gets to Galatia, they're going to get that book, maybe 12. But it's going to be a while. So this is new information for them in, in the thing that's in a point of controversy in this biography the facts here of what God did help support uh, the claim that Paul is making that I preach the true gospel and these other folks do not. And so that's why we have this information for us and all laid out in a nice logical order. So well, let's conclude with that one thought maybe and just ask ourselves, could, we, could it possibly be said about us as it was of Paul, verse 24, they were glorifying God because of me. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.